just as we all expected. We're kicking off a Friday show in mid-February, and instead of leading with the home stretch of the college basketball season, we're going to be unpacking the truth regarding the rumors surrounding the romantic lives of three Carolina basketball players. You are Locked On Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Friday, February 10th, 2023. Welcome in to the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to say a big word of thanks to you for joining us. Today's episode is brought to you by Fan Duel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. Well, coming up on today's show, we're going to preview North Carolina hosting Clemson on Saturday, recap the women's loss to Syracuse on Thursday night, and of course, our heels of the week. But first, RJ and Caleb, what is going on? I always say that I do what I do as a way to share the stories of the lives of the young men and women playing the games we all love so much. Uh, It's a way to me that we can all get to know who they are. It's a way that we can get to know them on and off the court. It's a way that we can honor them and their commitment to these sports. It's a way that we can get to know their humanity, the human behind the athlete. But the question comes up today, what happens when that humanity is violated and these student athletes are treated as frankly inhumane, as entities? As, as things to be used. We see this in fantasy football all the time. A player gets hurt or underperforms and people take to social media instantly to rake them over the coals for underperforming or for getting hurt or hurting their fantasy team. And we've seen it this week in the widespread mistreatment of three North Carolina Tar Heels student athletes, RJ Davis, Caleb Love, and Deja Kelly. Now, I honestly preferred to not have to comment on these rumors regarding their romantic affiliations and what's going on, because that's all it's been, is rumors. And frankly, their romantic lives shouldn't matter to me. I I should be allowed, they should be allowed to have whatever romantic lives they want to have and deal with that internally. But unfortunately, it has blown up this week, at least in part due to Duke's cheer sheets from last Saturday's game. I've been asked about this this week more than anything else, more than North Carolina's on-court struggles, more than what does Carolina have to do to make the NCAA tournament. I've been getting texts and DMs and messages and emails and everything asking about if the rumors are true or what's actually going on. It's been all over the place. And also, while I said I part of my job, I feel like, is to help shed light on the lives and stories of these young men and women, I don't want to violate their privacy, right? I want to let them have that. However, when rumors are being spread that not only invade those personal lives, but do active harm to their reputations, I feel the need to speak up and share the truth so as to protect the sanctity of that privacy. And I know that seems backwards because... In this moment, the way forward to protect their privacy is to share their private story so we can get rid of these rumors and quash them because it's not fair 
to them. It's not fair to them that to protect their privacy, I have to share their privacy. You know what I mean? But here we are. And so I want to clear up the rumors by sharing the reality of the situation, the truth of what's going on, not to glorify the situation, but to rather hopefully help put an end to it, to nip it in the bud. I'm tired of seeing stuff all over the internet from people that don't know from, from people that are just, they just want to share a, an, a hot story and get likes and retweets and views and all this stuff. What I want to share is the truth, not rumors, just facts as told to me by someone close to the story. So here you go. The truth about RJ Davis, Caleb Love, and Deja Kelly from a source very close to the situation. Here we go. You may or may not be aware, but RJ and Deja have in fact been seriously dating for a while. And I do say seriously, but they didn't really want to promote that publicly. They wanted to keep that privacy and sadly avoid a situation just like the one that has now come up at their relationship. It's very sweet. It's very, it's very loyal to one another. Um, and, and that is, that is the model of, of a healthy relationship. Now it is true. Caleb in their freshman year, Deja's a junior, just like Caleb and RJ had a crush on Deja Kelly in their freshman season, in their freshman year of college, but she wasn't interested. And so nothing came of it. No big deal. Moved on and better days are ahead. Now, my source obviously wasn't like directly involved with Deja as she's going through all that, trying to figure out like, should we remain friends? Should I give him a shot? Whatever that is. But my source does know that any romantic feelings between those two are ancient history. There is nothing going on there. And Caleb himself has been in serious relationships since that has happened. In fact, both the men's and women's teams went to dinner on Monday night and the three of them sat with each other, RJ, Caleb, and Deja. There is absolutely no animosity the it's the the duke sheet the duke cheer sheet again from saturday night that this stoked this fire um just took one little part of the story twisted it up in a negative way into something completely different that it's not so you hear what i'm saying here do you know what actually happened nothing this story is a big fat nothing burger and these three college students are being unfairly raked over the coals for nothing other than this, this is all it is. Let me just put it in general terms. A male college student had a crush on a female college student. She didn't reciprocate that feeling, and so nothing came of it. A harmless college crush a freshman college boy had on a freshman college girl. That same female college student eventually started dating a different male college student who did just so happen to be the teammate of that first male student. And those two have a nice and committed and loyal relationship to one another. It's boring. It's a tale as old as time. Some people have crushes on others. People don't reciprocate. Other people date and you move on with your day. There's nothing to this. You hear me? There's nothing to it. So, so what do we learn from this, from the reality that there has been no cheating, there's been no whatever. RJ and Deja are dating. Caleb has nothing to do with it other than their friends. What do we learn? We have to stop this rumor mill. If, if you don't know, don't talk about it. Um, please, please, I encourage us all. This is me included. Think of the humanity of these people first before you start 
typing out something on, on social media or talking to somebody. Think of the humanity of, of what your words could do um, to the reputation or mental health or whatever it is of any, any of these three college students. There are so many people in so many situations on social media treating these ups, unsubstantiated rumors as fact. And not only that, but putting out videos about it. I, I've seen stuff where people are just trying to take this and run with it, as I said earlier, to, to get attention. Stop. Please, I beg you. Let's just allow these college students to be college students. Now, you want to know what's going on in their lives? Cool. Absolutely. And that's part of the neat thing we get in this era of social media. We get more access than ever before to these personalities, these kind of celebrity uh, athletes and things like that. But they need to be allowed to live their lives. So please let them do that. Okay. Hopefully that clears all of this up and we can move on and just enjoy the young men and the young women that play these sports that we love. But also, this does mean this. We can no longer use this whole dating, love triangle, rumor mill, whatever it is, as an excuse for how the men's team has been performing lately. Because that's that's still a reality. That's still a truth. The men's basketball team has now lost three games in a row. And that's where we turn next. But first, I need to tell you about this episode it being brought to you by FanDuel, which... FanDuel is the only app you need at your Super Bowl party this year. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On, FanDuel, because they are the number one sports book in all of America. And if you're new to FanDuel, honestly, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. So download FanDuel right now and you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if that first bet doesn't win. And FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who's going to score a touchdown. Plus, the app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. And best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. So let me encourage you to join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim that no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. Once again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Okay, so now that we've dispelled those rumors, that, once again, is no longer an excuse for how the men's basketball team is performing. And regardless of what whatever issues there are, whether relational or athletic in nature, uh, it's time to figure these things out because we've been saying this for a while now, backs against the wall, now or never, you know, all of that language, all of those cliches, that's what we've been saying. But my goodness, uh, it, it's got to happen now. And, and when you look at the personnel of this team, Pete Nance didn't use his one final year of collegiate eligibility to transfer to a different school to just go through lackluster play. Leaky Black didn't come back to North Carolina one more go-round to, to go out like this, whatever this is. We, we still don't know that. There's seven games left in the regular season. So what do you do if you're North Carolina? You figure this thing out. You're too talented. You're too experienced. You're, you're too much of a unit with too much history to go out like you are. What are we going to see on Saturday? Are we going to see the Tar Heels of the first half at Wake Forest? Or are we going to see the Tar Heels that really learned how to fight in the second half? 
I don't know. And you know why? Because it's been that inconsistency all season long. And until we're proven otherwise, it appears that it's going to continue. But this is what the Tar Heels are working to do is to find that consistency, to figure it out, to figure out what's going on. As you are probably aware, the team had a lengthy meeting in the locker room at Wake Forest after the game on Tuesday night. Over 30 minutes, like the the number I've heard is 37 in terms of how long that lasted. You might recall that last year at one point, Dewey Ferris, one of the walk-ons on the team, called everyone together himself and said, hey, look, we got to figure this out. And that was the beginning of the stretch run where Carolina started to legitimately put things together. Well, we, we don't know yet because we haven't had a game or an experience publicly with the Tar Heels since this locker room meeting. What do we know? We know Coach Davis talked for a while. We know that Armando Baycott talked for a while in that meeting of his own volition. Like not that Coach Davis said, hey, Armando, would you address the team? Armando took that on himself. From what Armando has said to the media, no one, no one, no other team, uh, teammates, excuse me, no other student athletes addressed the team in that meeting. But the, the sound clip that you've all heard is Armando saying, um, hey, I said, I'm, I'm not quitting and I'm going to be here Thursday. And, you know, basically I hope you are too, but if not go home, well, it seems like everyone showed up for practice on Thursday. So that's good news. And, uh, I would imagine that Thursday's practice was spirited and lively as the Tar Heels prepare for Clemson. And then as, as we continue to think about this uh, of next steps and moving forward, we have to think about what comes out of that. Is it just words from, from a team meeting or are things actually put into action from it? What, what can be put into action? Cause we kind of know what we've got with this team. So what changes? Is it personnel? Is it um, schemes? Is it how you defend screens? Is it what shots we're getting and who's taking them? Are I mean, a legitimate question that we do need to ask. We know now that we've seen, uh, like as we talked about, out of the gate, the the rumors of the the weird love triangle thing between R.J. Caleb and Deja have been dispelled. That that is not true. But is there something real going on between R.J. and Caleb interpersonally aside from that? Right, like because that could still very much be a thing. Well, on Thursday, um, Caleb put out stuff on, on his various social medias, basically like it was a picture of him and RJ together at practice, basically saying like, we're good. We're together. Um, RJ posted something on it. It was kind of cryptic and didn't make much sense, but basically they're at least publicly trying to put forward a good image. Now, what does that mean for the on-court play? I don't know. And none of us are going to know until we see it on Saturday in the Dean Dome. Now, part of this, as we think towards the postseason. I thought that the loss at Wake Forest um, was going to put Carolina not just onto the bubble, right? They had been safely in the tournament from bracketology projections, but but frankly, on the wrong side of the bubble after that loss. However, it's, it seems like from all the bracketology I've been looking at, they're still in, but hanging on for dear life, like typically in the last four in when you see it, like probably playing in Dayton. So that means there is now zero margin. There is zero wiggle room. Carolina's got to do it. Seven games left. I mean, honestly, if you want to feel the best about it, you got to go seven and zero. But maybe six and one can get it done, depending on what you do in the ACC tournament. Maybe five and two, depending on who it is that you lose to. If it's maybe Virginia or something like that. 
but these, these, ne- these next several days are going to define it. Why? Because Saturday, reminder, Carolina plays Clemson, and then you turn around 48 hours later and host Miami on Monday. Now, thankfully, again, both of these games are at home, so that's a win, and that's nice. But, but what does this look like to put it together now? Because we know this team is not shooting the ball well. Like, it's as simple as that. The ball is not going in the hole. The offensive efficiency is dropping as the defensive efficiency climbs. So what do they have to do, the Tar Heels, to put it together? What what did they talk about in the locker room? What did they put into practice on Thursday at practice? Uh, what happens at, like, shoot-arounds on Friday and Saturday? How the, the two big things with it for me is how do you get it to look like last year when things were going so well? Meaning, how do you clear enough space for Armando Baycott to operate in the lane without teams sagging off of Leaky, sagging off of Pete? How do you clear enough space for RJ and Caleb to have driving reins? I mean, you're not going to go a true five out because that's not what Armando's going to do unless he's coming to set a high ball screen. You could do it that way. But these are the things we're watching for. Like, what changes because the offense as it is now does not work? fully right there are things about it that work but it is not a cohesive unit operating at optimum pre uh premium height well all of this that we've just talked about we're going to find out on saturday when carolina close hosts clemson at 2 p.m eastern espn to ken palm favors north carolina by seven points i would not have guessed that before i looked at the line but there we are as a reminder this is the first game in this series in the Dean Dome since Clemson ended the longest streak in NCAA history of a team having an undefeated streak at home against another opponent. Remember, Carolina was 59-0 all time at home against Clemson until the Tigers beat North Carolina in overtime the last time they faced off in Chapel Hill. So Clemson comes in 1-59 all time in Carolina. Let's not get that let that streak get to two, shall we? Now here's the thing. Clemson, Pittsburgh, and Virginia are currently tied atop the ACC standings at 10 and 3. And so they've done well in the conference play, but the the polls and the computer numbers do not love them. The Tigers are 72nd at Ken Palm, 69th in both the NCAA's net and at Torvik. And so like it, it is not good for them, despite them being atop the ACC. Clemson comes in on a two-game losing streak, having lost at BC and at home to Miami. And so oddly, f- for this team that's done so well in conference play, they took some really bad losses in non-conference play. They lost to South Carolina, who's very ungood. <laughs> yes, I know that's not a real word. I just like to make it up. And then they lost to Loyola Chicago, who in a lot of years, that's a fine thing. But Loyola Chicago is, is ac- actually very bad this year. Both of those losses are outside like the top 200 teams in the country. Not only that, but, but Clemson, even in their wins, they played an abysmal non-conference schedule, which ranks at Ken Palm as the 322nd non-conference strength of schedule out of, remember, there's 363 teams in all of Division One. Now, Clemson, listen, I, hear me saying all that and not saying that they're a pushover. Clemson is a really good basketball team this year. They're not elite, but they have some great uh, players. Brad Brownell, their coach, came into the season on the hot seat and has played himself into ACC Coach of the Year conversation. 
Um, and so just a, a couple of the names to know. Obviously, there's a bunch more, but let me give you a couple to watch out for. You might remember P.J. Hall, who um, has played well against Carolina. He's a guy that, honestly, I was like, is he going to transfer? And if so, mightn't he want to come up to Chapel Hill? Because I think he would be a great Tar Heel um, and should be a great matchup inside. He's a front court player. So that, that matchup of he and Armando should be a good one. He's a very physical player, very fiery, love to watch him play. Uh, Chase Hunter is a great guard for Clemson. He's he struggled with a little bit of um, some lower body injury, but but seems to be doing well. And then Hunter Tyson. So you got Chase Hunter and Hunter Tyson. Don't, don't get them mixed up. Hunter Tyson's another front court player that's having a really, really good season for Clemson as well. So those are just a few of the names to get to know. I want to give you, as we continue our preview, as always, my W2W4, the what to watch for. But I also want to unpack some, the ladies' unfortunate loss at Syracuse on Thursday night. And I'm going to give you the heels of the week, both our heel of the week and our heel of the week. And we'll do that in just a second. Okay, let's talk the what to watch for as Carolina hosts Clemson on Saturday afternoon at two o'clock. I'll give you four of them. It's the what to watch for things. So number one, urgency. Carolina has to have it. Uh, I know you're at home and so you feel better there, even though now you do have a, a home loss that was to Pittsburgh last week. But but the, the items surrounding urgency, what sort of effect did that post-game meeting have on this team in terms of their on-court performance? Uh, everyone's saying the right things, but but do they do it? I mean, Carolina legitimately, legitimately in this point is in a very real danger zone. If they don't feel the urgency or sense the urgency of that moment, it could fall apart in a hurry. But here's the thing. Clemson's going to have urgency as well because they come in, as I said, losers of two straight. And even though they're tied atop the ACC right now because of their computer numbers and some other and their non-conference schedule and things like that, they are not a shoe in for the ACC turn or for, excuse me, <laughs> they are a shoe in for the ACC tournament because everyone makes it. They're not a shoe in for the NCAA tournament yet. So Clemson's going to come in with a real sense of urgency themselves. Another part of this urgency is that the defense just frankly has to play better. Uh, that, that was a major factor in Tuesday's loss at Wake Forest was the defense in the first half was just was just frankly unacceptable for what it needs to be. Carolina has to play with more purpose and, and passion there. Um, now, one part of that in terms of the defense, defensive urgency, is that it will be easier than it was against Wake Forest because Clemson's Clemson's offense is just really not not that great. Um, near certainly not nearly as good as Wake's was. But but you again, that's on paper. In real life, you got to go out there and do it. So that's what to watch for. Number one, what sense of urgency does Carolina have? Basically, it's one of those where it's like. I want to see you get out to a quick 10-point lead and never look back and sustain that for the 40 minutes. Can you do it? We'll find out. What to watch for point number two is Mr. Armando Baycott. Going back to that word urgency, I thought Carolina had some good urgency, some good intention to get him the ball in the post in the right place against Wake Forest. To Mondo's credit himself, he did the early work of getting where he needed to be in the post because it's about both, right? It's about the post feeder and the post receiver. And so the guards did a good job getting him the ball. He did a good job getting in position, but unfortunately foul trouble kind of derailed that game. He picked up that one late or the, the second one late in the first half, had to go to the bench and then two quickies early in the second half to put him on the bench with four. 
Um, and frankly, the one of at least one, if not both of those second half ones against Wake Forest, and then some fouls he had had a couple games ago, it might have been the pit game, were quite frankly fouls of frustration that that Armando Baycott cannot be doing. He has to be composed because he's he is so integral. Without him, Carolina does not have another player of his type or variety or skill set. And he has to stay as composed as possible. Remember, Clemson is a tough team. They play hard. They don't play dirty. Hear me not saying that. But they play tough. And he's got to be able to match that while staying even keel. And so we're going to watch out for that. And I think part of this is with him being the one to make those comments on Tuesday night about, hey, I'm going to be at practice Thursday. Hope you are too. That All that kind of stuff. He he's got to he's got to back that up with his play. It's not just about saying it. Armando now has to be the one to go and lead the way in this thing. So let's watch for that. How does he put his money where his mouth is? Quite frankly, <laughs> that nil money. How does he put his nil money where his mouth is? So that's what to watch for. Number two, what to watch for. Number three is the shooting. Carolina has to find a way to knock down shots. They outside the free throw line where they've done very well for the majority of the season. They've got to be able to hit shots. Uh, we know RJ's struggling. I, I think it's, again, a, um, a factor of his finger. Caleb has been shooting much better. He did not shoot well in the first half against Wake Forest, but in the second half he did, and in the two games prior, Duke and Pitt, he had shot well in those as well. So we'll keep tabs on, on that. But keep in mind, with Clemson, defense is kind of their calling card. It's not an elite defense, but it is a really good defense and a defense that plays really hard. Um, and so they're going to put a focus on that. And Carolina is going to have to be ready to not settle for what Clemson allows them. Carolina has to go out and get the shots they want. They have to be the one to set the terms of engagement. Um, and keep in mind, hitting shots, that's the only way to give Mondo space, which is what we're talking about. We need for Carolina to operate optimally. And then uh, the fourth thing in our what to watch for is the connectivity between North Carolina's offense and defense. We've talked about both of those things, and part of that is because they have to go together. If you're not shooting well, you know how you can uh, overcome that? Transition points. Go score early in the shot clock before that defense is set. Against Duke on Saturday, that did not happen. Carolina was outscored in transition points 20-2. to uh, And so they've got to look to get going. I know they're not playing at, at a Roy Williams or Dean Smith pace under Hubert Davis, but, but you have to find different ways to manufacture points if your shot's not falling. And so that, that's a good thing. How can you use, and this is what we're talking about. How can you use your defense to feed your offense? Be dialed in defensively like Leakey had a steal and breakaway dunk early, early in the game at Wake Forest. And I thought that was going to set the tone for the game. It, it didn't end up doing so. But it's like those kind of plays that Carolina needs. Let the defense turn into offense and then let that how good you're playing on offense, how well you're playing on offense, excuse me, translate back into your defensive effort and intensity. So all of this is predicated on how how well Carolina is playing defense. Honestly, I'd love to see some more trapping. I'd love to see some more pressure that could help speed things up as well. But here's the thing with that. You got to have a lot of bodies to be ready to play when you're going to do that. Is Coach Davis going to be willing to play them? We'll watch and see. So can can Carolina steal some points elsewhere in addition to transition? Maybe um, uh, off off turnovers like we talked about, live ball turnovers. You're looking for those. 
Um, can you get out and go after a rebound? Maybe a pitch ahead, little Kendall Marshall style there. Uh, whatever it is, Carolina needs to find a way to steal buckets here and there. So those are four things I'm watching for in this one. Let's get to the ladies game. Unfortunately, they go up to Syracuse on Thursday night and lose 75 to 67. I thought they were in good shape at halftime. They led 34 to 32, but man, Syracuse just kind of pulled away in the third quarter, more than doubling up the Tar Heels, outscoring them 31 to 14 in the third quarter alone. Yes, that is 31 points in 10 minutes for Syracuse. That defense has to be better for the Tar Heels. Unfortunately, part of that is they were once again for the second straight game without both Eva Hodgson and Alyssa Utsby. Now, they've been without Hodgson for longer. I just mean this is the second game missing both of those starters. And listen, that's 23.8 points per game between those two ladies. That's not insignificant. Now, it's not insurmountable, but it does explain what makes, especially a road game, very difficult. And so we will look to see how the Lady Heels rebound on Sunday when they host Boston College in Carmichael. As for the shady stat of the game for that one, well, Carolina shot just 24% from the three-point line, six of 25. In fact, Paulina Paris, unfortunately, didn't make a single shot in the game. Would love to get her hitting, uh, not just from beyond the arc, but elsewhere. But part of that, uh, why this is the shady stat of the game, is not just because of Carolina shooting poorly from beyond the arc, but because Syracuse <laughs> shot fewer threes and made more threes. Carolina was 6 of 25. Syracuse was 9 of 20 for a cool 45%. Uh, man, in the modern college basketball game, you're going to lose most games when the three-point numbers look like that. Let's finish off today's show with our heel of the week and our heel of the week. For those of you who might be new to the show, our heel of the week is where we celebrate a Tar Heel who has done something great. And then the heel of the week is where we give, we throw shade at not a Tar Heel specifically, but just somebody who has been a heel like boo, you're the worst. You're a heel uh, in this week. And so our, our heel of the week, yay, is none other than Deja Kelly. Just want to circle back around to this and give her some love. Uh, I know um, that that in a scenario like this, where there's these rumors flying about these two guys fighting over a girl, she gets stuck in the middle. And that's a really awkward spot for her. And we want to recognize that it's not fair to her. Um, obviously, it's not the whole situation is not fair, but it is what it is. Um, she's dealing with being the third party in all of this with in all of this mess. And you know what she does on Thursday? I know it's a loss, but she goes out and hits a career high 32 points against Syracuse. And so just want to commend Deja on how she didn't allow all this ludicrousness to affect her and went out and dropped a career high. That's awesome way to go, Deja. And then our heel of the week, the negative thing, uh, it could be the Duke cheer sheet we've already talked about. Um, in part because of stirring up these rumors, but also, man, they're putting out players' phone numbers on this thing. Like, shame on you, Duke. Do better. That That is, if there is a line, whatever that line is, you have crossed it when you do something like that. Um, but uh, truly, the, the heel of the week goes to the narrative. This is multiple people, but the narrative that says that Duke's win last Saturday uh, made amends for the win Carolina got in Cameron last year and for the final four, uh, for the final four win Carolina had over Duke. For example, Paolo Bancaro, he was at the game in the student section, um, said 100% this win gives me closure from last year. Okay, buddy, um, that's really cute. Tell yourself whatever you need to, but uh, it doesn't give you closure. I know you feel that way. 
Um, but but it just frankly doesn't. And then uh, people like Brett Friedlander, who's been a longtime writer uh, for the ACC, covering or not for the ACC, but covering the ACC. And he had that like he had an article that said Duke's gritty win does more than just exercise ghosts of UNC losses past. Frankly, buddy, this does nothing to exercise losses uh, to Carolina last year. Um, yes, I mean it is a win, and, and you always want to get a win in this series, but it it doesn't do anything to ameliorate Duke's feelings of of taking that loss either in Cameron or the loss in the Final Four. It, it just doesn't. In fact. Uh, this is funny to me, but it's Jeremy Roach. That was the voice of reason. Uh, and he said, it kind of eases that a little bit, talking about the losses last year. And I love that it's it's almost like a reporter was trying to get him to say, yeah, like this makes me feel better about it. But notice the unspecific phrases he's using. It kind of eases it a little bit, right? He's, I think he was kind of goaded into that. And so Jeremy Roach, he gets the deal, right? He he knows that this is not equitable in any way. But the heels of the week are these people trying to say that Duke's win on Saturday uh, puts things back on an even playing field in this rivalry. It's not true. Just like the rumors, full circle in this show. You love to see it. Which, by the way, this that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. And that's it for this week on Locked on Tar Heels. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. And you can follow me at Isaac Shade. I'd love to ask you to subscribe to the show. We are within 200 subscribers of 5,000. Would love to hit that by the time we get to Selection Sunday. That is our goal. Would be honored if you would be part of that. Smash the like button. Comment on the show. What are your thoughts on this, this wild drama that has unfolded? You can also email the show, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. Would love your recommendations for Heels of the Week. Would love to just chat with you. I get people that just send emails and we'll just correspond back and forth. If you want to do that, be my guest. Would love to chat with you there. For your next listen, check out Locked On's brand new show, Locked On College Basketball. Myself and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court. Plus, hear from big name experts, coaches, and players throughout the college basketball landscape. Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and anywhere else you get podcasts. Well, friends, that's it. Thanks so much for diving in with me. I hope uh, we have made this this whole situation with RJ and Caleb and Deja clear for you. If not, happy to talk about it more and explain it. But my goodness, can we please put it to rest? Really appreciate you hanging out with me on a Friday talking Carolina sports. Let's go get this dub on Saturday against Clemson and then follow it up Monday at or versus Miami. But one at a time, let's take care of it. Hey, I want to remind you that no matter what's going on, it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until Monday. Peace.